Anyone who's gone through an ERP implementation knows how difficult it can be. Our guests today are experts in helping food processing plants successfully implement ERP systems. This interview is excellent, and you're not going to want to miss it. With a properly configured and implemented ERP, you don't have to do that. You'll be able to grow your business and have minimal increase in the resources required to manage the business. Hi, I'm Andy. And I'm Joe. And you're listening to the Farm to Fork Podcast, brought to you by Carlisle Technology. All right, so today's topic is about people, process, and technology. So we've got some great guests here for you from a company called Nagenet. We're going to be talking about how to implement ERP in the food industry. So Arthur and Stuart, I'm going to allow you guys to just kind of introduce yourselves and give us a little bit of information about your background and the company that you guys work for. Okay, so I'll start. So my name is Arthur Pigeon, old veteran, been in the industry for 30, 30 plus years now, working with food organizations of that. Nagenet, we started back in 2007, and we're a company focused on people, process, and technology. My name is Stuart Grossman. I'm partners with Arthur. I've given you a little bit of background already on the company. I have an engineering background and was doing a lot of work with software development, technology, and became very interested in the application of technology to solve business requirements and business challenges. And that's what Nagenity really is focused on. It's that alignment of your business processes with technology. And in today, you know, a lot of the ERPs are challenged and there's many reasons for that. But a lot of times the main reason is that misalignment that the uh, ERPs and, and the technology is not meeting the business requirements. And that's what we focus on. Do you guys have like a specific project that really stands out to you or that you think is maybe one of your key projects that really helped you guys catch on fire with what you're doing and really get some momentum behind your company? Our very first project was a food company that decided to run an ERP project internally. And it was actually the accounting department. And they went out and bought an accounting package, not a production package. And what was happening is because they didn't have information, they didn't have processes, they didn't have proper procedures, they were spending a million dollars per year on flying in frozen carrots and frozen celery and frozen raw materials just to meet production. After go live, that went away. Also, their warehouse was out of control, didn't know what they have, didn't know where anything was. After ERP, they had complete control. And that was really the launch that started everything off. Because what we learned from that is that organizations, companies are effective. The job gets done, products get shipped, no materials get ordered. But they're not efficient. They don't know what they have. They don't know. They don't even know where they're making money. Another very good example was a company, you know, and they're telling us this production line, this is where we make it. It's our most profitable. This other line, this other item that we're making, we're going to stop it. After ERP, it was the reverse. And what we learned is it's information. But more importantly, it's the processes of that. It's back to that people process technology. Technology is the enabler. Technology is there to support and help you. But it comes down to the processes and how we use it. So it's interesting. These two projects is what really kickstarted, you know, really launched us to where we are today. I think that that's a great point when you talk about how companies are effective. They do what they do and they get it done, but they're not necessarily efficient. And I just think that that's so key, especially in the food industry. You see, they've got the end goal in mind of what they want to do. And sometimes it's brute force and ignorance that they get to that end point, but it's not necessarily the most efficient way. And so I think that that's just such a key point. That's a good point. It's it's brute force of that. They'll do what it takes and they'll scramble. 
The customer comes first. So no matter what, drop everything, let's get it done. But were you profitable? Were you efficient? And that's what we find is very important. So thank you, Arthur and Stuart, for the introduction and happy to have you on the podcast. So let's jump right into our first topic here regarding people, process and technology. So how do we leverage technology to improve business? What's very important with technology, it's there to provide information. It's allowing you to make fact-based decisions. What we find in the food industry is everybody has a lot of experience and they make decisions based on gut feel, experience. But now what we have is we have information that backs that up. So it backs up those decisions that you're going to make by you know, providing facts to you. Stuart, do you want to add a few points yeah. to this one? What we found too is a lot of organizations have an old ERP or they have a custom built spreadsheets and what they have is disparate systems, information all over the place in their separate spreadsheets, on the back of pieces of paper, wherever. And the advantage of a properly implemented ERP is that you have centralized information that everybody can access and that you also have to have processes so that the information is updated in real time or near real time. So there's one point of truth and it's accurate information. Do you guys find that a lot of times you get some of your clients that to that one point of truth where they're collecting all that data, but then they don't really know how to use that data? You know, they're getting it. It's coming from all across the production facility, but then nobody knows how to make business decisions based on the data that they're collecting. Absolutely. And that's part of the change management. Part of it is how to read information, how to use information, how to make decisions with that information. And this is very important. It's the change management, but it's also the ERP in that not all ERPs are the same, not all systems are the same, even though fundamentally they're all very similar. It comes down to how to use that information and how to read that information. They do what they do because they've been doing it for 30 years. And all of a sudden we change the information we presented to them. They don't know what to do anymore. More importantly, they're very comfortable with their spreadsheets, with their you know, other documents. And we're now, now what's happening is that we're going to take those away and put some new tools in front of them. It's that old analogy, you know, people don't mind change, but the mind being change. So we need to change the way they're going to read reports, use reports, use information. You do want the ERP to be the single source of truth. You know, so if you have a planner, a scheduler that's using their spreadsheet, we need to move them off that spreadsheet into the new tools. Why? It's because of information. It's a centralized single source of truth. One other thing I wanted to add to that, Arthur, is we focus on best practices for the food and beverage industry. A properly chosen ERP that is tuned to that also will do that. What we do is take a look at your existing business processes. We help you move into a best practice approach, and that's based on years of experience in the industry and all these ERPs that have put in years of experience of development of how things are used across the industry for many years. That changes sometimes people's ways of looking at information so that they can make better decisions. There are some times where certain peculiar things in a certain business is required a certain way. We will challenge that. We will discuss it and make some decisions if it should be done that way, or should they change their process and, and move to a best practice approach. And then that will help them make better use of the information that is presented to them. The technology is there to kind of collect the data, to get the information up off of the plant floor and into management's hands. And then it's the change management that kind of comes behind that to give them the ability to interpret that data and make whatever business decisions they need to make in order to see the positive changes they're looking for. Is that right? That is correct. Absolutely. 
to me, this looks like it could be an uncomfortable process for a lot of plants. Like I've been on plants. I know how stuck they can get in their old ways and how they get comfortable with, like you said, the spreadsheets and things like that. So how often do you see these types of projects succeed or fail based on companies' willingness to adopt this method? That's a very good question. And some of the things that we find is that we are often called in to help them out. And it's usually the second attempt at implementing an ERP. And the first attempt failed for various reasons. One of the main reasons is reluctance to change, customizing it the way they were operating before. It really is dependent on the culture of the company. It's dependent on individuals. We'll have some departments that are very eager to want to change and make things better, and we'll have some people that are set in their ways. We were involved in one ERP implementation where the second-in-command vice president of operations was digging their feet in, in terms of how they were doing things today and just wasn't open to the change. And we had to go to the owners and say, look, it, this is going to be an issue. If you want this to be successful, this person's has either got to change or you've got to move them aside and put someone else in there that will make changes. And so we spend a lot of time. That's part of the challenge of what we do in change management is identify issues, people related or just process related and being able to bring that forward to the executive committees and say, this is what is required for a successful implementation. So to answer your question in short, yes, it's a challenge. Every organization is different and you need someone to be able to look at what those issues are and present them and put a plan in so that say, the company can make it easier for them to change. I'll also add that we have different programs for different personalities and we do a lot of coaching and mentoring and we spend a lot of time showing the people how the ERP is going to make their life easier. It may be a little painful to do that change, but in the long run, it will make it easier for them. There's a phrase we use all the time. Don't pave the cow path, build a highway. Just because you're doing this way today doesn't mean you can do the same way tomorrow. But also very important, if you go to the internet and you type in failed ERP, you're going to find a million hits. But what's very interesting is that ERP projects fail most times for the exact same reasons. There's an organization called the Standish Group. They're a think tank out of the U.S., and they publish what's called the Chaos Report. And it's really stats and information about why projects fail, specifically IT projects. And what's truly amazing is when you look at the 1995 numbers, the 2009 numbers, the 2015, and the 2020 percentages, why projects fail, and there hasn't been a lot of change. So in a world of all these project managers, What's going on? You know, in this world where there's incredible amounts of information, why projects fail? You can find very detailed instructions of how to run an ERP project, and they keep failing. And so you have to ask yourself, what is the root cause? There's 10 major reasons why projects fail. You know, number one is it's got to start from the top. Number two, it's got to be understand the current processes. And that's where we come in is when we first go into a company, the first thing that we do, we're going to do a very detailed workflow process maps. We're going to talk to just about everybody in the organization. We want to understand how everything's done, who's doing it, why they're doing it. And what comes out of that, usually at the very end of that, we'll know more about their company than they'll know about their company. That allows us to make decisions and allows us to move forward to that next step. With so many of these projects failing, kind of to your guys' point, then why do companies take the risk? Because it's not like these are cheap projects to take on. So the risk of failure can be really costly if there's not some big incentive to do these sort of projects. 
That's a good point. And the first thing I do want to point out is you always hear the reports of the failures. You rarely hear the reports of the successes. So there's just as many, if not more, successful ones too. But it's always more interesting to report on all the disasters and things like that. It's an old analogy. I'll tell 10 people my, my complaint and I'll tell one person my compliment. There's a lot of successful projects out there. What sort of ROI do they get on a successful project? What can they expect to see or what is that carrot that dangles in front of these companies that are looking to take on an ERP? That's another good question. And one of the things we always tell our, our clients is that don't implement an ERP to save money. You're not you're necessarily save money. There are savings involved. And Arthur mentioned, I think a little while ago about this company that saved over a million dollars in shipping fees. So there are ROIs on that, and they usually are, can be anywhere from a year to three years. But the main reason is that you want to grow your business. If you have issues with your processes, you're going to constantly and exponentially have to throw resources at it as you grow to manage those issues. With a properly configured and implemented ERP, you don't have to do that. You'll be able to grow your business and have minimal increase in the resources required to manage the business. And that's where we go back to, you may have been effective in what you're doing and you'll continue to be effective, but your efficiency will get worse and worse and worse as you grow. With a properly implemented ERP, that will your efficiency will go up and then your profitability will go up. If things are working today and you don't have burning platforms, why spend all the money and go through that risk? So there's a reason for it. And there's gotta be a reason that you wanna take on the risk and take on the challenges. Yeah, there was another reason too that we saw a couple of years ago, and one of the big drivers was also regulatory. It was food safety, the ability to want to know exactly what I made, how much I made. I want to know my lot numbers, my batch numbers. I want to know where I sold it, where it came from, and where that came from now is better control of materials. So a managed warehouse, you know, a managed environment. So we saw that for a, for a couple of years. You know, what we're seeing now is that we want to scale up. And the key is without adding the resources. It's the automation. Take advantage of the automation to automate tasks without throwing more people at it. What's really interesting kind of that scalability point is we get a lot of customers at Carla Technology that come to us because there's one specific need that they need. So let's say that they want to start selling one product into Costco or something like that. So they're like, hey, we need you know your traceability system because we just want to accomplish this one task. And you can tell that we can meet that need, but that company is almost looking at the problem too small. You can also tell the companies that come at it with this desire to scale and to grow and to kind of take that next step. And those are kind of two almost opposite perspectives. You know, one company is just trying to fill an immediate need without really thinking of the long-term growth strategy. The other company is trying to scale and to grow. And then they know that with that growth, they will then see those opportunities with those larger food retailers. But it's also the ability to be able to pivot quickly to make those changes, especially in these COVID times, because we saw incredible changes. The food service industry stopped overnight. They needed now to pivot, change, start producing more retail products. And we have those better controls and better information. It's that scalability and the ability to change quickly. So we did see that with some of our clients. We talk a lot about processes improvement, how to be more efficient. So would you say that the method you really derive from comes from Six Sigma Lean in the sense that you analyze a process, look at how we remove waste and essentially add value to that process? We work more on business processes rather than trying to take waste out of a, a certain production line or something like that. Right. And this is what's important. 
We find with the Six Sigma is they focus on the shop floor and they don't focus on the technology and communications of that. And that's where we see the biggest gap. Yes, you want those lines to be as efficient as possible, but understand there's, you still have to purchase materials, manage those materials, ship them, receive them, get on the financial, pay for them. And it's those business processes that we have seen that really drives success. And it's I'll call it the forgotten area of that. Everyone's so focused on the machines, rightly so, they need to be productive because that's what, where companies really make their revenue from. But at the same time, you need that efficient way to get the materials in and get the finished goods out and make sure that you invoice for them. Now, when we add additional complexity, when you get into the whole areas of SPIFs, rebates, commissions, chargebacks, trade spend, this is a whole other element to food companies that the Six Sigma doesn't even address or doesn't deal with. It's now how do we start managing the finances, the invoices, the payments? And that's all part of you know, the ERP system. And we complement each other. We work on the business processes, and there's also a need for the Six Sigma on the factory floor. And we work with organizations, such as yourself, and put together a complete solution for our clients. Yeah, and that's very, very important. So we talk about processes being more efficient, coupling technology in order to give you the CRP. Let's talk a bit about how do we solve ERP implementations and the problems associated with that. We have a, a three-step process. I'll talk a little bit about it, and then Arthur, you can continue on. This three steps seems to be working for us and for the clients very well, and very important three distinct steps. The first step is really understanding their current business, how things operate. We do workflows and process maps in different areas to get a detailed understanding of how information flows between the different departments and what the challenges are. And we look at material flow, we look at the production process and continue on with finance, quality control, all areas we look at. Some of them are fairly standard and then we find some unique requirements in different companies. And we map that all out and get a clear understanding of how they operate. And this is something that Arthur had said before, because we spent so much time on this, as well as going cross department, we get sometimes a better understanding of how the business operates than management really does. We had one situation where we presented back to upper management how certain things were flowing. And one of the senior managers says, no, that's not how we do things. And the reality is that is how they're doing it. And they didn't realize they were doing things. And they started to make changes and improvements right away, even with step one, irrespective of the ERP. So step one is really understanding their business and their requirements. This is going to be used in the future for training, and it's also going to be used in the selection process. When you guys dig into those kind of workflows and stuff, do you see, Arthur, like I know you and I have talked in the past about how fundamentally every manufacturing plant is the same with raw material in their manufacturing process, finished goods, inventory is built, and then finished goods, inventory is sold and shipped out. But how do you see in the details, how many little things do you think really vary depending on the, the individual manufacturing plant? Or is it very similar all across the board? Fundamentally, it's very similar across you know, almost every company, materials come in, we do something to those materials, we make a finished good, and materials go out. It's very, very similar. Where we start seeing the differences, it comes down to, do they have multiple plants? Are the multiple plants owned 
Like, are they separate legal entities? Their supply chain distribution networks, do they use 3PLs? Do they have their own trucks, their own fleets? Do they have their own warehouses and external warehouses? You know, we start seeing some subtle differences there. Fundamentally, they're still all the same, but we need to understand how this works because it does have an impact on the ERP selection. Fundamentally, all ERPs are the same. However, certain ERPs do certain things better than others. We start looking at the complexity of how they make or produce the item, how they bring in materials, how do they ship it, and then the finance as well. How do they cost it? It's those details that we really need to capture because fundamentally, they're all the same. Really, stuff comes in, stuff goes out. The other thing that we look at is, as Arthur was saying, is how they do things. And what we're looking for as well, how closely are their processes aligned to fundamental ways that the ERP operates? And that's where we're starting to identify where change management is required. There's many ways of processing information. ERPs tend to be standardized certain ways and on best practices. And if our customer is doing it differently, that's where we start to challenge them. Why are you doing it differently? Is this really needed for your business? Or is this an opportunity to improve, become more efficient? And as we've said before, realign your processes with how the ERP operates so that you'll get the best use of the ERP. Right. To add to this, best practice dictates, use the ERP out of the box. Don't modify, change you know, the ERP. Don't customize it. The problem is, is that everybody wants to make the new work like the old. This is how our current system works. This is how we've been doing it. This is our way. And what we need to do is, and this is part of the process maps workflows, is that we start identifying where's change going to happen. What can we use out of the box? What do people need to do? If you want to control cost of an ERP project, is you want to use the ERP out of the box. Change your process. Don't change the software. When you start customizing the software, you're going down a slippery slope. And that's what we're going to be very, very careful about. Yes, there's always some modifications and customizations. Typically, where we see those is more the report sides, or there's a piece of information that they want to see that the ERP doesn't do. But that best practice approach is change the process. Don't heavily customize the software. And I would agree as a software provider, we do see a lot of customers that come in with maybe business practices that aren't the best practices. And so trying to get them to see that, yes, we can customize software, but A, it's expensive and B, it's really difficult to support. And long-term support where you're doing upgrades and updates, you know, years down the line, all those things have to come over as well too. And so I think as soon as you start explaining that to the client, then they start to really see like, hey, if we can become more efficient by changing our practices and we're going to save money on the implementation of the ERP and our long-term support is there, then all that math, it equals the direction that they want to go ultimately, even if it's painful. But another point to add to that is the software companies, let's look at yourself. You've been around for a very long time. This is what you do. You are experts in this. You have lots of clients. You see lots of different operations. Fundamentally, they're all the same. You know what works best. You know what's efficient. You know what's going to provide the information. It's this knowledge and information that really companies should be leveraging. And it's back to you know, the change management. We do what we do because this is how we've been doing it. Right. However, there may be a better way to do this, a more efficient way to do this. And that efficiency is going to be driven by the software. So you look at your organization. Your experts. It's the same with ERP. Your experts. Your experts in your software and your experts on how it works. So our role is to really change the people, change the processes, 
to work with the software, but the software really is out of the box. If you look at what drives success, that drives a successful project. The next point that's very important, we see this with ERP companies. ERP companies only know what they know. They only know what they've done in the past. A lot of them don't understand what their software can even do. Standard approach for a lot of ERP companies is how do you do it today? Because we'll make the new work like the old. And this is what really one of the differences that we provide. Because we've done this upfront work, because we clearly understand how they do it today, where the process is, we understand where the change is going to happen. We work with our clients now to change them. And we work with the vendors too. So they're going to configure the software correctly or properly or based on best practice to take advantage. We also look at the ERP vendors. We got to look at them as a partner as well, is that they're the experts on their software. So tell us what it can do, what it can't do. How does it work? What are the benefits? What are the features? And then what features can we use and take advantage of? Because we have this very clear understanding. When they start talking about features and functionality, we can relate to that. And that's the business and IT alignment. Take the processes, align it to the IT, align it to that technology. Don't take the technology and modify it, you know, the work with their current process or their old processes. Now, I just want to add one thing. A lot of companies may challenge that and say, I don't want technology driving my business. And so we're not suggesting that. The technology is built on best practices, and it's going to provide you information so that you can make better decisions of how to run your business. But the technology is enforcing how you operate. It is enhancing and helping you make better decisions. Stuart, I know you were going through kind of like a three-step kind of understanding workflow. Do you want to kind of introduce the next step that you wanted to talk about? Sure. We can move on to step two. So once we've got a clear picture and understanding of how the business operates, step two is now going to market, going to the market to find the best solution for your requirements. And we've run formal RFP processes. Our preferred method is what we call a streamlined selection process which I'll describe just briefly in a minute. We take all those requirements, we present it to uh, various vendors, and then we work with the customer and make the best choice and selection. We often get the client asking us, well, just tell us what the best solution is. That's a difficult thing. And it's difficult because the software is constantly changing. What a certain software did two years ago is enhanced and changed, and they have new features and functionality. So the landscape is constantly changing. So just to be able to say, here, this is the best choice for you, that's a very difficult task. The other thing is, is not one ERP is going to solve all their problems out of the box to the best of the client's ability. So they have to start prioritizing what is the most important things to our business. Every customer is different. They have different things that are important to them. And so then you want to choose an ERP that as close as possible meets their requirements. Yeah. Another key point there, too, is that what ERPs do very well is they do what I call the front end and the back end. Sales orders come in, purchase orders go out, finished goods go out. What they don't do very well is shop floor. A lot of times companies say, well, I want an ERP that can do absolutely everything for us. What they don't do very well is they may not do shop floor, or they may not do warehouse, or they may not do CRM. Like they do come with some of these features and functionalities, but they don't do it very well. That would be identified during the front end on our step one. And then step two, part of the selection is what's the most appropriate technology. And in addition to that, is there other pieces of technology that we need to look at? 
I would just want to clarify, not all ERPs don't do the shop floor very well. Some of them do it better than others. Some of them are, have better features than others. And that's where we're starting to prioritize how does the company operate, what's important to them, and let's match them up with the proper ERP to meet their needs. And I would say, I mean, that's some of my favorite projects is when Carlisle does an MES solution that feeds data into a larger ERP. Because, you know, Arthur, to your point, I do see a lot of ERPs out there in the market that kind of those jack of all trades where they do everything from accounting to CRM functionality to all of the inventory and everything. And then when it gets down to the plant floor, a lot of times it doesn't necessarily always translate. And what I mean the plant floor, there's some things that do translate. Like I've seen ERPs that do well with ingredient reporting and things like that where, you know, operators can go in and, and record cooked temperatures or they can record readings that they've used and things like that. The integration to a lot of the equipment on the plant floor isn't always there is what I've seen from ERP system. When Carlisle gets the opportunity to do an MES project, one of those areas we really thrive in is connecting to devices and collecting data off of those devices and then sending that data up into the ERP in a format that the ERP can accept really well. And so there's a lot of value in that. And I think that maximizing the ERP's use to what it's really good at in the office and then using some sort of an MES on the plant floor to integrate to all those data collection devices, I've seen a lot of success in that. That's a really good point. And one of the challenges we've seen with some of our clients that prior to implementing an ERP properly is the lag of getting the information from the shop floor into their systems. That is critical for being able to make proper decisions. So the quicker they can get the information of what material was used, what material was consumed, you know, what they produce today, the better, because they're already planning for tomorrow and you don't want to have the system thinking there's some materials around when it's actually been consumed on the shop floor. And we have a lot of customers who are entering this information a day or two later and that you just can't do that. And having then an MES doing that in real time is a great feature to have for the ERP's implementation. And I would say integration isn't overly complicated. These days, it seems like there's a lot of kind of open source and APIs and database tables that can be shared that integration isn't as daunting as it maybe was a few years ago. And so it's neat to kind of have those projects and be able to you know, partner with the plant and the ERP to create that successful solution that helps everybody. It's an investment that the customer will make, but it will really make life easier for them and a lot more efficient down the road. So it's something that we definitely like to look into. We usually want to get their processes stabilized and implemented first, and then attaching the MES to it is a very big benefit. So kind of where the rubber meets the road is on the implementation. And that's where a lot of the change management happens. That's where projects probably tend to go sideways. So can you guys talk us through kind of the implementation and the approach that you guys take with that? This is actually the most critical part of the entire project. So we've done this upfront work so we understand where the change is going to happen, what's going to happen. Now we get into a transformation and change management side. First thing that we do is we create super user teams. We identify one or two people from each functional area as to be the leader. And what's important with the super users is these are people that can help with change. So they are good at communicating. They are good at working with people. They don't necessarily need to be the director, the manager of that functional area, but they can communicate effectively. They are part of the project team. They're going to be part of making decisions. They're going to be part of the design process. They'll be working very closely with them on the whole project because what's very important is that we're all going to leave one day. At the end of the project, we all go on to other projects. And so the organizations must be self-sufficient. So part of the super user program is to give them the knowledge, the information that they need to be self-sufficient and to carry on. 
So if you look at again, what drives success, what drives success is it is a good plan. It is good project management. It is also the super user team because they are the ones that are going to lead the change. But also important, master data. Master data is the Achilles heel of all projects. It's the one that can delay projects. So we got to create the master data teams. Who's going to do it? Who's going to check it? But also, what's the process moving forward? Once master data is created, we're going to maintain it. And these are all new processes. Also, it's that clearly defining the roles, responsibilities, clearly defining who's going to do what. Very common. We see this more so on the customer service side, logistics side, where our logistics department creates the sales orders and this department creates the invoices. Well, the way that the ERPs are out of the box is that customer service creates the sales orders and does the invoicing. You know, warehouse may do the shipping. So there's maybe some role changes. Now, that would be identified well in advance, but now we got to start making those changes. Another aspect to successful implementation, I would say the three most important things, and Arthur's talked about two of them, is master data, roles and responsibilities, and finally, piloting. You always need to build in sufficient time to go through order to cash, procurement to pay, and watch the information flow and pilot the system and make sure from one department to the next department to the next department, they know what they're doing. They know how to get the information. They know how to do their functions. You don't want to go live in an environment where you haven't tested everything and you haven't trained everyone. And a lot of times, insufficient time is allotted for that for the piloting and training. And that leads to a very challenged implementation. What's amazing with the piloting is we do two different types of piloting. The first one is the boardroom. This is the common one. We all sit around the table and we go through complete end-to-end. We start off with best case scenarios, then we work towards a normal day. And then we start throwing wrenches in. And what's amazing is that after we've done the boardroom, we push, we start, we do pilots again, but now we push it to people's desk and we push it down to the shop floor and that dynamics totally change. Why? Communications. Part of piloting is how do we communicate? When we're all together looking at each other, we know what everyone's doing. But the moment we put all the walls up, how do I know when to start my task? How do I know what you've done? How do I know where to get information? And that's all part of the piloting. Piloting drives success because it identifies all the problems, the issues. Do you think that the piloting also helps kind of maybe bring to the surface the different personalities that you're going to have to deal with? So various people who are going to actually embrace the system versus ones who are going to resist it? Yes. In addition to that, also identifies the things, I call it the, oops, we missed this or we didn't think of this, or somebody, you know, all of a sudden it brings up all the different scenarios of how do we deal with this now? Because first thing with pilots, you start with best case. Now, why is best that important? You have to prove that everything works. The processes work and we have alignment. Now, piloting is twofold. We're testing the technology. We're testing the processes. And that's what's very important. And we're testing the communications. That was a really important thing that Arthur just said. We're not just testing the technology. We're now testing your business processes and the application of technology. And that's where sometimes things get forgotten. And when you go live and you come across a situation that, oh, how do we do this in the system? I don't know. So we do as much piloting as you can to avoid any of those issues. Whenever we've gone through what we consider sufficient piloting and training, when it comes to go live and we flip over from the old to the new, it's what we call this ho-hum situation because everything's working. It's not this, oh, how do we do this? Or how do we do that? It's already been tested. And those go lives tend to be a lot easier 
and a lot quicker in terms of productivity of people starting to get used to the system. This is very important. Whenever you introduce change, there will be a drop in productivity. It will get worse before it gets better. This is fact. Is that when we turn on an ERP that first day, it's rough. But we have set the expectations. We've got a communication plan. If there's a problem, and this is where the super users really step up, we know how to do it, what to do, how to manage it. You know, everybody knows how to put their hand up. Everybody knows how to get help. So there's no panic because with panic, you get no plan. And what happens, and you see this with a lot of challenge projects, is they flip the switch. Oh, no, something went wrong. Let's make a change. Well, every time you make that change, it gets worse. Let's make this knee-jerk reaction. Well, it gets worse. No, we've captured all those problems, or most of the problems, as much as we can during the piloting, but we've set the expectations. It's going to get worse before it gets better but it gets better very quickly. And what we find, if I look at our last 10 go-lives, first day, it's rough. Why? It's new. It's different. Day two gets a little bit better. Day three, you know, our project curve, we're now going, like, it's now going straight up. Now we're really seeing that incremental change now, but had no panic. You know, we've had no one yelling, no screaming. We've had no, oh, what do we, let's revert back. No, none of that. And that's what's very important. We want to make it that oh-hum moment. I mean, if you fail to do that and you do have to revert back, that gets costly. That creates frustration. That's where you see a lot of the negative aspects come into that project. And so in doing all those pilot programs and starting in the, the boardroom and then growing it out down to the plant floor and getting everybody on board and having those key users all go towards preventing that reverting back to the old system or redoing the go live later at a time when kinks are worked out because you've already done all that. You've already done the groundwork. And that's where you see the challenged and failed implementations where you haven't properly spent time training and you haven't properly spent time piloting and testing. And if you do that, you're on the road to a successful implementation. The other thing I want to add is what you usually find is once people start to see all the things that the ERP can bring to them, they start realizing a bunch of things that they could do that they could never do before. And they, and they do want to make some changes and they want to add things and all that. What we call the first go live, we put a stake in the ground saying, this is what we're doing. We don't want scope to creep. Let's get the system up and running. And then we could start doing additions and different enhancements for what we call the second go live when we can decide when that'll be. A lot of people don't realize what the art of the possible is until they see the true benefits of what centralized information is and real-time information and being able to report on things that they could never report on before. And then you start really getting the true benefits of the ERP. One very important point as well is people say, well, a phase one, a phase two, a phase three. Phase two never happens, never does. Because why? Because phase one was difficult. These are difficult projects like this. I would say we're not going to sugarcoat it. They are costly. They take a lot of resources, a lot of time, and they are difficult. What we do is we design for the end state. And we have multiple goal lives. Each goal live is an incremental improvement. It's a phase one project with goal live one, goal live two, goal live three. Set those expectations in advance. So it's not a phase one, phase two, phase three, because phase two never happens. And that was a good point Arthur brought up is we may have a certain limited functionality for our first go live, but we design the end vision in mind as much as we can. So we don't just say, okay, well, that's going to be phase two. We just don't worry about it. No, no, no. That's part of the ERP implementation. We design the solution so that when we move from go live one to go live two, it is incremental and it's not painful. And we have a vision of where the company wants to go. 
No, that's good. And so kind of taking all that and then moving into that post implementation. So once the system's live, once they're using the system, once they're seeing the benefits and you kind of go into kind of a support mode, what does that typically look like for you guys in kind of passing things off to them? Or you guys stick around for a while or what's your process? We do stick around for a while because I always joke, the project really starts at go live. Now that's when it really starts with that on the system. So there's that post implementation support because there's going to be some changes and modifications. There's going to be adjustments. The reason for that is up until go live, the whole company has not been on the system. Once you go live, now the whole company is using it and there's always going to be some changes. But what's very important now is that we need to enforce those changes. One of the challenges, one of the problems that we've seen is that when you get just the natural evolution of a company is that there's changeover. And so what happens is a lot of people that may be in senior positions, but they've moved on with their career and new people come in and they don't understand how the system works. They don't understand what the processes are. And sometimes they'll make some changes. And we've seen this a couple of times where all of a sudden stop doing some very critical key task. And all of a sudden, the ERP is, becomes a big problem. So what we do, it's regular contact, stay in contact. But the program that we have is we're coming back. And we're going to audit you. And we're going to work with you. We're going to help you to make sure that you're always staying on top of and you're using the processes that were designed for you. Take advantage. But also, too, is that go live two, go live three. Okay, go live one is done. Go live two, we're going to do next year. So at a certain point, we're going to be, you know, we'll come back in and start working towards the other go live too. But what's important, and we've seen this, is that, you know, just with the natural evolution of a company is when new people come in, you know, they need to understand how does it work in the system. Don't make any changes because it may have a dramatic impact on the business. Some of the things that we do moving towards the go live one and after is making sure the system is properly documented. And as Arthur was saying, people leave, new people come in, and you want them to be able to go to the manual and be able to understand, oh, this is the business process. This is functionally what I need to do. And they'll be able to pick things up. We've had a couple of clients call us saying in a panic, because I, I, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do that. And then we'll say, okay, your documentation's on the SharePoint. It's in this folder. It describes what you need to do. 15, 20 minutes later, we said, oh, great. Thanks so much because this was a new person that didn't know where things were. So documentation is very important. And as Arthur was said, we have a program where we come back and audit to make sure people are following the processes. In a big company, it's very easy for one group off to the side here or someone else not really following the process. And then it could lead the company into some issues with the ERP. We also create certain kind of dashboards and reports for management to take a look at certain things to make sure people are following the processes, to take a look at certain results of things that are happening, to make sure everything looks okay, and to give them some alerts when things aren't being followed. And then there's, as Arthur was saying, there's the Go Live 2 and Go Live 3. There's functionality that they want to continue to implement, and we help them with that as well. So we customize post-Go Live process to meet customers' needs. Yeah, it's funny. From time to time, we get the phone call on a Sunday night saying, okay, this is months after, sometimes a year after Live 1, and actually after we everyone has left, where we get the phone call on a Sunday night saying, I need you for a meeting tomorrow morning. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, it's down in Maryland. Hey, I got to get to the airport. Kind of what you guys are saying, it's just key that you set them up with all the tools so that they can own that solution. And that they can really drive it once it's live and they're using it. And then you set them up even with the metrics to be able to gauge whether they're using it properly. And then that almost like that test, 
where you're checking back in and making sure that processes are still in place, that people are still kind of adhering to what it is, and that if there's any sort of questions that they have all the documentation that they need available to them. Every customer is different depending on what resources and capabilities they have. I've got one client that I'm every two weeks, I'm on a half hour call just to go through what their problems are having, what you know things are happening with the ERP and provide some advisory services. And then we have other clients that become completely self-sufficient and don't really want that, but do want us to come back every so often on audit. So we customize based on the culture and their resources as well. So this has been a great discussion, guys. Just want to thank you, Stuart and Arthur, for being on the podcast again with us. So what resources are available for people to learn more about Nagenet? Best resource is our website. We have white papers there. We have information. You can find us at www.negenit.com. Likewise, please feel free to reach out to Stuart or myself. You can find our contact information on the website. So on the website, you'll find some white papers and some great stories. Do you guys do consultations or anything like that for kind of new prospects? Yeah, the way we operate is we usually, you know, obviously have a telephone call to pre-qualify and make sure that there's alignment between what we do and what they do. And we usually then do an exploratory pre-COVID and hopefully meeting now, an on-site for maybe a few hours, half a day, just to tour the plant, understand the scope and magnitude of the engagement or what they're trying to accomplish. And then we follow up with a proposal of how we can help them. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for your time and uh, for kind of breaking down what it takes to implement an ERP system in the food industry. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.